Shalom, this is Reverend John Ferret, and this is the Gospel according to Moses in the book of Genesis, and we're in lesson number 57. We're going to continue with our eulogy of Abraham. This started in lesson 56. We're focusing in on Genesis 25, verses 7 through 10. Again, we'll do the same in here in lesson 57. So we're in a, a looking back on Abraham's life, looking back and to seek out the answer of why did God pick Abraham? You may recall in a lesson that we did on Genesis chapter 12 when Abraham, Avram was his name at that time, his name hadn't been changed. Going back to that time, the Torah was silent as to why God picked Abraham. And I mentioned back then, in that lesson, that we were going to have to experience life with Abraham and to see how he lived, how he walked with God to understand why God picked him. What was it about Abraham that he Abraham, through his seed. Now, the Hebrew word that is translated as seed basically means descendants. That through Abraham's descendants, that all of the nations of the earth would be blessed or grafted in. You can check previous lessons on this that are an equivalent alternative interpretation of Genesis 12.3 is that all families of the earth through the descendants of Abraham, would be grafted in. It's interesting because Paul talks about being grafted in, and he was a Torah scholar, a Hebrew scholar for that matter. And Paul teaches about Abraham, that if we are true in the faith, if we're walking as real disciples of Adonai Yeshua, then as Paul teaches in Romans 4, verse 16, that Abraham, he is the father of us all by faith. So we're going to begin part two of the eulogy. We're going to be taking a look at a Torah commentary by Dr. Joseph Hertz, a recognized, amazing scholar, the leading rabbi in Great Britain, if I recall, uh, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and he wrote a Torah commentary, and he's got commentary that you might say really adds to the eulogy of Abraham. Dr. Hertz goes on, and he says, he, Abraham, was the pioneer of the monotheistic faith, undazzled by the heathen splendor of a Nimrod or a Hammurabi. He broke away from the debasing idol worship of his contemporaries and devoted his life to the spread of the worldwide redeeming truth of the one God of justice and mercy. He forsook home and family to brave unknown dangers because the voice of God bade him to do so. And he is example to his children. Now remember what Paul teaches. Paul teaches us that if we're really, truly of the faith in Jesus, that Father, our Father is Abraham by faith. And so here's Rabbi Kurtz talking 
about the fact that Abraham is an example to his children, which means us as well. That indeed, he's an example to sacrifice the dearest things in life, and if need be, life itself, in defense of the spiritual heritage entrusted to his care. To me, Abraham epitomizes the idea of hate. And what I mean by that is this. Abraham hated everything in his life. In other words, like Rabbi Hertz said, sacrifice everything dearest in his life. And if, if it need be life itself for the sake of his relationship with God. Now, he doesn't mean hate. It means sine. Sine can mean, in Hebrew, sine can mean hate. But it's the idea of something is in a lower position. If you actually read Oh, I think it's in the New American Standard that Leah, one of Jacob's, one of Jacob's wives, the other one is Rachel, that Leah was loved less than Rachel. The word there is sine. So why didn't the translators use hate? Because the conceptual meaning doesn't mean that Jacob hated Leah. No way. He loved her, but he loved her less than Rachel. She was in a lower position. And this is what we're getting at. Abraham put all in second place. The only thing that mattered to him was his relationship to God and obeying him. And this reminds me of something Jesus said. We find this in Luke 14, in verse 26. And Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be not my disciple. Jesus doesn't mean hate. We take the English word hate, take it to the Greek, and the Greek to the Septuagint, and we find the Hebrew word sine, which can mean hate. But in this case, Jesus does not mean to hate your mother and your father and brothers and sisters and so on. No way. Especially when Jesus says the second greatest commandment, the second greatest commandment all of Torah is to love your neighbor as yourself. Love. He's saying put them in a lower position in terms of your relationship of your love to the Lord. So let's continue on. Let's continue our eulogy of Abraham here in part two. And to actually let God show us why he picked Abraham and why he is the prototype for all of us. He is the father of us all in our faith. So come, let's go see. When we look at the constancy of God, he is seeking ones then, in Jesus' day and now, who will go in his image. Do you remember what he said to Adam and Eve, the first commandment? Increase and multiply and go fill the earth. They're made in his image. He wants the earth full of God's image, which means if you're an image of God, you're a reflection of God. They see you, they see God. Wait a minute. A disciple wants to be what their rabbi is. 
If they see us, they see Jesus. It's the same thing. Jesus is God. We're in the image as a disciple of God. It starts in Genesis. It goes all the way to Revelation 22. God has not changed. The constancy of Adonai. Be a disciple. Be like the rabbi. Avraham was selected because he would teach his household. Remember Moses? Listen to this. This is amazing. Moses going to um, Deuteronomy 4.1. Matter of fact, Deuteronomy 4.1, and then we'll jump right to verse 14 of the same chapter. Listen to Moses' own words in Deuteronomy. And now, O Israel, hearken to the laws and the regulations that I'm teaching you to observe. Oh, whoa, he's teaching. In order that you may live and enter and take possession of the land that Yahweh, the God of your fathers, is giving to you. Now we jump to verse 14, and Moses is teaching his people, and he said, And me, Yahweh commanded at that time to teach you. And Moses obeyed. The laws and regulations for you to observe them in the land that you are crossing over to possess. And this is really cool. Is Moses a reflection of God or an image of God in his life? What does God tell Moses? You will be me to Pharaoh. And Aaron will be your prophet, your spokesman. Moses is going to be the human reflection of God to Pharaoh. That's characteristics of a disciple. It doesn't change. Jesus is saying, I want you to go make disciples. In other words, I want you to go and make others in my image. It goes all the way back to, all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. God is consistent in this. Abraham, was he a reflection of God? He was on a mountain, and he was willing to sacrifice his firstborn, one and only son of the promise. But God, he had a son on a mountain. And he sacrificed his firstborn, one and only son of the promise. Abraham, in his faith, was a reflection of God. So Moses teaches. And then on top of that, he's got a system. I, just, I love this, the way God does this. Okay? Because you can't do it all. That, that's true. You can't do it all. So what does God develops a system? Go make disciples. Matter of fact, somebody did this and they said, when um, Peter, uh, not Peter, when Paul is in Ephesus, he acquires 12 disciples. You can read this yourself. It's in the book of Acts. And he acquires 12. And he teaches them for two years. And he sends them out. Probably sends them out in pairs. Okay, and what are they supposed to do? Go make disciples, not build churches. That's a mistake. The church says make churches. doesn't say that. Okay? They're supposed to go and obey their rabbi. Go make disciples. So they go make disciples. So you could say, all right, six pairs. Let's suppose those six pairs each make six pairs more in two years. So you'd say, okay, each makes six, so that's 36 times six in two years. Whoa, they've increased that pretty well. So 36 times 6 is a lot. Okay, I'm not going to do the multiplication in my head. 
Thank you. 116. 216. Uh, huh? 216. 216. A lot. Okay. Just wanted to let you know when they say a lot, it means 216. Okay. I don't think so. No. <laughs> yeah. Now say the 216, do the same thing. They go out in pairs. So now you're down to 108. Okay. Those 108 pairs, they go out and make 108 pairs. No. They make six pairs each. So you, you see how this is? That's a system. And it worked in Turkey because all of the eastern part of the nation of Turkey heard the word of God. Now, it didn't say they all believed, but this spread because the disciples kept on doing this. Now, God is the same. He develops a system. Let's go to Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 31, verses 9 through 13, in 31, 9 through 13, we hear this. Now, Moshe wrote down this instruction, the Torah, and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, those carrying the coffer of the covenant of Yahweh, and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded, and Moshe commanded them, saying, At the end of seven years, at the appointed time of the year of release, on the pilgrimage festival of Sukkot, when all Israel comes to be seen at the presence of Yahweh, your God, at the place that he chooses, you are to proclaim this instruction in front of all Israel in their ears. Every seven years, they're to teach the Torah. Assemble the people, the men and the women and the little ones, and your sojourner that is in your gates, and us too. Sojourner, those are non-Jews. In order that they may hearken, in order that they may learn, and have awe for Yahweh your God. But then we go to Deuteronomy 33, verses 8 through 10, and we get some more specifics on all of this. Because here is... Moshe, at the end of his life, Moses, and he is basically giving a blessing to each of the tribes. So to Levi, he says this, Your Tumim and your Urim for your loyal man, whom you tested at Massah testing, you quarreled with him by the waters of Miravah quarreling. Who says of his father and of his mother, I have not seen them? His brother he does not recognize, and his children he does not acknowledge. For they have guarded your sayings, your covenant they have watched over. Now, here is the specific statement by Moses at the end of his life to Levi. Let them instruct, let them, the Levites, instruct your regulations to Jacob, your instruction to Israel, putting smoking incense in your nostrils and complete offerings on your slaughter site. In other words, the Levites are supposed to teach the Torah. And where did the Levites live in Israel when they got there? Do you remember they had no possessions of their own okay they were given cities they were given land the levites lived throughout israel and throughout israel they were supposed to teach the people problem is in malachi chapter read the book of malachi and you'll find out the priests didn't do it they did not do the job that's what malachi is all about the levites did not obey the command by god through moses that they were supposed to teach now, when you go to the Shema, some of you know that um, the Shema is a set of verses that the Jewish people, Jewish men especially, recite both morning and evening. Jesus probably did it. I'll just give you the verses, and then I want to highlight some things. It's Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Starts out, Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Then Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 21. 
Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 21, and Numbers 15, 37 through 41. And you'll remember that that's about the tassels that they're supposed to wear. Okay. Now, in the sections of the Shema, in studying the Hebrew, there are some very interesting things to take a look at in the Hebrew. Because one part of the Shema basically talks about you all. In other words, all Israel will do this. Everybody. Okay? There's, but for, in your Bible, it says you. So you can't tell when it says you all or it means you singular. Because we have one word you, Hebrew has six. Okay? So in that, there's another piece of the Shema where it says you singular person. In other words, you and you and you and you and you and you. And you and you and each, every one of you, male and female. Okay? You will teach the children just like Abraham. It's incumbent on every person, starting with the parents. The parents are not supposed to give it over to the Bible, Sunday Bible teachers. Grandparents, too. Wow. The synagogue teacher, oh yeah. But the synagogue teacher realized that the parents are number one. They're the ones that are responsible for the teaching of Torah to the kids. Obviously, friends as well. Family, people that are living together, and so on. So it's very interesting that it's all of Israel. We're beginning to see what we think is in the New Testament. It's not new. It's older than the hills. And we're seeing characteristics of Abraham. So I want to go back now to Abraham. And I do want to talk about something, the fact that he loved Isaac less than he loved God. And we go to Jesus' words, and he says, you can look it up, hate your parents, hate your wife, hate your husband, hate, that's the word that's used in English from the Greek, hate your children, hate your family, hate your friends, yes, and he says this, and even hate your own life. Unless you do that, you cannot be my disciple. Hate. You'd say, wait a minute. He's speaking Hebrew, certainly. He is not speaking English. He's not speaking Greek. And he's saying hate. Now, this doesn't make any sense. Because what is the second greatest commandment? Love, love your neighbor. Well, that's interesting. Okay. If I'm to love my neighbor as myself, how much more should I love my wife? Right? Or my kids? See, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't follow. So again, we see, as we've done earlier, sane, the Hebrew word, hate, okay, can mean hate, but it's conceptual in meaning. It's this separation, okay? And in a sense, the best way of doing it is putting one on a higher level than the other. And certainly when you hate somebody, that happens, okay? Can we come back to Paul, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, be like me, for I'm like him. And then Paul says in Philippians 3.8, and again I'm paraphrasing, he wants to count all things as nothing as compared to having yada in Yeshua or the knowledge of Christ. Yada. We could, you guys, I tell you, our Bibles in English are so sterile. The knowledge of Christ. 
I'm going to ask some teenagers, do you have the knowledge of Christ? Well, yes, Christ is the Messiah figure and he came to save us. No, yada. This is experiential knowledge, knowing him. All things he compare. Then he says, I count all things as rubbish so that I may gain Jesus. All things. What's Paul saying? Hate. In, in the real good sense, Sine, right? Putting everything lower. It's rubbish. Throw it out. He, he calls it garbage. And then we take a look at the characteristics that Abraham has that are the characteristics that Jesus said we're supposed to have as disciples. Isaac was loved less. Matter of fact, he put his marriage on the line. It is really possible. Remember this. We did this in the last lesson. Sarah died in Hebron. The Bible is clear, exactly clear. Avraham is in, is, is in Beersheba. And Beersheba is part of the area controlled by the Philistines, which means it's not part of Canaan. Canaan. And it says he left and entered Canaan to come and mourn for Sarah. That's how the Hebrew can be read, which I think is probably the more correct way. They were separated. And it makes sense to me that Sarah, this wonderful lady, had had it with Abraham right up to here. You stupid religious fanatic. You wanted to kill my son. Out! I never want to see you again. And what about Isaac? He doesn't come down the mountain with his pop. It says Abraham came down, his friends were still down there, and they went back to Beersheba. What happened to Isaac? Is it possible that Isaac said, my dad's a religious fanatic. I've had it. I'm going to mama's place. And it's interesting because he remember, he marries Rebecca. And what tent does he take Rebecca into? Sarah's tent. Not his dad's. Got nothing to do with Abraham. Could it be? To me, we have Abraham as a radical believer in God. You've heard this before in our culture. You've heard this perhaps in sermons. We have to be radical for Jesus. Really? Be Abraham. He was radical. And I think Sarah and Isaac saw that this guy was just a relitical crazy man. You want to be a disciple for Jesus? It's almost like Jesus is saying, I want you to be a religious crazy person. I want you to be weird for me. Oh, Paul, Jesus is the only focus. Abraham, his yada with Adonai is his only focus. And us? Hmm. Are we like Peter? Do we really doubt? He doubted himself. He didn't doubt Jesus because Jesus is still standing there walking on the water. Do we doubt ourselves? Or are we still in the boat? That's where I think I am. Or are we like Abraham? He gave it all so that we could be a disciple, so that we can give it all. You think about the 12 apostles? Well, obviously, forget Judas. But the 12 with the new one added in. They all died a martyr's death, with possibly the exception of John. And then we know how many thousands and thousands of early Christians were martyred by the Romans over a course of hundreds of years. They gave it all. God doesn't change.
This, this is amazing to me. He seeks disciples then and now. He wanted Eva Abraham to be a teacher, to hate Isaac, even his wife. Moses, a teacher in God's image. And it was so critical. Listen, Moses made one mistake. One. Yeah, he complained. He's having a tough time. Poor Moses. He, can you, the poor guy, his life was ruined. Why didn't he stay with the flock of sheep? But no, he's got to go see a burning bush. He goes to see the burning bush, and his life is horrible. And then he gets so upset with the Israelites. God says, uh, they want water? Yeah. Okay, here's what I want you to take your stick. And I'll say, just take it. Don't strike the rock. He said, just take your stick, right? Okay, and then talk to the rock, and then I'll give water. And what does he do? He goes out, he takes the stick, he hits the rock, but then he says, Aaron and I will give you water. Not God. And because of that, he couldn't go in. Do you read it in, 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 in uh, the Torah. He pleads with God, I don't want to go in. He lived for this. His whole life was focused on one thing and one thing only, to lead his people into the promised land. And God said, no, and whatever you do, do not talk to me about this again. I'm done with it. Moses! And then I think about me. Whew. And disciples... The characteristics of Abraham. So to me, <laughs> this is what God has done to me since those days when I went to Ray Vanderland in Israel. It's been year after year, month after month, week after week, sometimes day after day. But the one thing that I've seen is the constancy of God and that this Bible, I'll pick up the Christian Bible here, the ESV that I have, because now I've got Obviously, the Hebrew Scriptures in there and the New Testament. There it is. God is the same, right from the beginning to the end. Constancy. And it's really fascinating. Is Jesus teaching anything new? Nothing. Just as an aside, well, wait, oh, yeah, well, oh, I usually get this. You know, somebody will raise their hand. But obviously, you know you can't t uh, talk during the audio. Okay, so you could bring this up a little bit later on. But the thing is, is that People would say, oh, Jesus taught something new. Remember he said, I have a new commandment? He says that in English. But in Greek, it can mean new or it can be tweaked. I have a commandment that's tweaked. I have a commandment that's refreshed or new. You see what I'm saying? But again, Greek has a variety of meanings to that. And he says, love one another. And I just loved to have been in that room, because I think Peter would have raised his hand. Okay, loudmouth Peter. And Peter would have said, uh, Lord, uh, Leviticus 19.18, matter of fact, you just said it the other day, what's the second greatest commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. And on top of that, in verse 34, it says we're supposed to love the stranger as ourselves. So even strangers, we're supposed to love as our neighbor? Uh, that's not new. But see, the key is, it's the second phrase, love one another as I have loved you. In other words, be a disciple. In other words, be ready to die for each other. 
In other words, even hate your own life for the sake of the kingdom. Jesus' own words. And it's not hate. It's putting into second place. So I'm not surprised at these connections between Jesus' words in Luke 14, 26, that we're to hate our mother, our father, our friends, our family, our wives, our husbands, even our life itself, and does not hate, but sine to put to put everything in a lower position as compared to our relationship with Jesus. We remember Rabbi Joseph Hertz's words. Abraham indefinitely gave up everything. He put everything in second place as his relationship to God. And so too for us, as we follow Jesus, who's a blessing, he is the blessing to all nations. We put all aside, we put everything in second place. And as being a part of Abraham's family, we're like our spiritual dad. Sacrifice our even own lives to be true disciples of Jesus. Now in Lesson 58, we're going to end the eulogy. We're going to take a look at Part 3 regarding Abraham. Once again, we're going to be taking a look at Abraham's life his, and, and, and his actions. And it all leads us back to Messiah. It all leads us back to our relationship with Jesus. Now Jesus talks about the fact that he is going to build his church. He talks about the foundation, and he talks about the foundation as a rock upon which he's going to build. <laughs> Guess what? The rock is a picture of Abraham, possibly. So Jesus could mean that the foundation that he is building his church on is the same faith, the same faith as Abraham. So let's go take a look. I'll see you in Lesson 58. Shalom.